Welcome to Season 2 of the Week Pastor Podcast, where we view Christianity through the lens of vulnerability. Hey, welcome to the Week Pastor Podcast. We're so grateful that you've joined us this week. Sue, why are you laughing so much? I because don't understand this. Because you didn't this. say Week Pastors. <laughs> That's why I'm, I'm trying laughing. to say apostrophe S. I'm not trying to say, you know. I'm not just a pastor. S. You're so funny. Sua, Sua, you served at the church for five years. You might as well have been a pastor. Have you know, never done any type get... of counseling? You counseled the staff for five years, Sua. Well, yes, I'm years. a social worker. But Sua, you still did pastoral counseling. You are a pastor, But I right? don't get any of the government benefits of being a pastor. This is true. That's this is true. That's the real part about being All a right. pastor. You don't get the government benefits. For but those you know of what? you who don't know, there are some really great governmental benefits. There are some government. Be, yeah. Well, that's part because we don't make a big salary, but uh, but it's okay because you married Some of you Georgian, don't so. make a big salary that's true. oh There's that's true. definitely that's true. some of you i, I don't, who I don't have those Jordan one sneakers money. all right i don't have those ten thousand dollar sneakers what, what's that instagram handle called yeah preachers and sneakers it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing if you ever want preachers and sneakers no, i love to, it or is it sneakers and preachers Pre preachers and sneakers but if you go to the comment section like it's so entertaining. It's oh so my goodness! No, I will not. I will not subject myself to reading the comments on the preachers what for kind sneakers. What sneakers do you wear? Um, I actually wear very nice sneakers. I have uh, uh, Adidas. My kids brought it for me. I have an Adidas um, Ultra Boost. Oh. Oh yeah. Really? Those yes. are those are kind of expensive. They're 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 very expensive. Maybe yeah, you are they are. Be on preachers and sneakers. Too. Well, you know, I will say this. Uh, my son has a sneaker business. And okay, if you guys ever want, he gets good deals. He gets good deals. But how is that a business? Does he sell them then? Oh yeah, he sells them. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he does actually Christian, have a Christian kicks. I think it's called uh, his, his Instagram oh, handle. He sells a lot of sneakers. He's got a, he's got a decent customer base. So he buys them for a good price and then he sells them. Yes. Yes. Oh, so he, okay. he can get, he can get sneakers for good prices and you know, that's what he does. He gets sneakers and he buys our stuff too for cheaper and he's able to sell it and make some money. And, you know, I, I figure at a young age, it's good to, for him to have an entrepreneurial spirit and sort of nurture that. You know, baseball doesn't work out, so just give it to him, and, and he's nurturing it, and, <laughs> and he's, uh, he sells. I mean, yesterday he got about five pairs of sneakers in, you know, delivered, and then he sells them, and he sold, he sold some sneakers recently this weekend, and I think it was like, set, like total was like 750 bucks he sold it for, like I think two or three That's, pairs of sneakers. Wait, does he, hold so, on. I'm sorry. This is not a podcast. Listen, if you want a pair of sneakers, why don't you email me at weekpastors.org and I'll cut you with my son. Stop. Weekpastor. Oh, weekpastor. Weekpastor.org. And I will, he can get you one of those, you know, impossible sneakers to get. Like if you want one. And he's done that for a couple of folks from our church. They're like, yo, Christian, can you get me the sneaker? And so he's been Does able to find it. Does he take a commission? Uh, for the church people, he doesn't, but they've been so generous. They always give him extra money. He, they're so nice. And I always say, you can't. You can't do that for uncle, whoever, you know, you can't, you can't charge them extra money for that. You got to just give it to them at cost. So uh, he tries to hook them up. So he's got, he's got bots that work for him. So he's got bots. That's amazing. If, if you know what that means. I don't even no, know what that, that means really. Yeah, but he's got so bots. Cool, His bots work for him. Nice. Yeah. So that's he's got that stuff. Good for him. But anyway, thank you for joining us at the Week Pastor podcast. So <laughs> I'm going to have to say that over and over again because Sue keeps laughing when I say pastors. So anyway, but uh, but interesting. We have a uh, speaking of pastors, Sue. We're gonna oh, we're gonna. Yes. I have a very fun question for you yes. and for me. It's not a fun question. All right. You just I, what you just said. It's a fun no, no, no. Question. It's not. You're gonna have to think. You're gonna have to think now. All right. Now you've been in ministry at Metro for five years. Share with me that darkest day of ministry for you like the worst day of ministry you ever had really in the five years you've been at metro 
like the worst. It was a horrible. You day. know the worst. Well, that's what I want you. I, I might know, but you got to share it, right? You got to share it. I and shared I, and I it share already. It. Why do I have to share it again? No, maybe you got to add a little more detail. This? Yeah, maybe you have to add a little more detail. But the worst day of ministry for you, all right, that you've experienced uh, over the past five years of being in ministry at Metro, all right, maybe you have another one. Maybe you haven't thought things through a little bit too, but if it's, if it's that one, then so be it. But the worst day of ministry, like it was just hard. You struggled to sleep. It was a really difficult, difficult day or season for you in ministry, okay? Think about it. Are you going to go? Of course I'm going to go because I thought okay, about go. it. You go. For me, it's easy, and I've shared it before, but it was when my father passed away. Uh, my father passed away, I would say, about six years ago. And during that time, actually no longer than that, maybe about six, seven years ago, during that time, we started to have people leave the church because we were really talking a lot more about racial justice. And um, some of the people, some of these people were actually leaders in our church, people I trusted, and they just started leaving. And they would, some of them said some really horrible things, some hard things about me and my leadership or lack thereof, and they left the church. And so it was kind of like compounded, right? Here, here I am, I lost my father. I was trying to deal with that, but now we lost, you know, probably about 50 people or 50 people or so uh, from the church, you know, with their families and stuff. They've left the church. And then our church kind of started to go into a real deep financial crisis, and that was a major issue. And so I just, it was just hard. I felt like a failure. You know, I just started thinking, like, you know, thank God Kevin was around and, you know, Kevin was helping me and just said, hey, you know, you, we might have to start thinking about laying off some staff and we need to start thinking about that. And I was like, oh gosh, it's gotten that bad. And so that was a pretty dark day. That was a pretty dark season of ministry for me. And I probably at that point, you know, that was probably really hard. And I just said, man, I, I don't know if I, I can keep doing this anymore. So that was probably my I'm hardest I'm surprised time. it wasn't the day you said you wanted to die. Yeah, you know, I would say that would probably close be second. a close second. You know, I think this, this one, because it's just such a, that's such a long time ago. And, uh, you know, and, and I think it's, there are so many years that's, that's elapsed because that was what, 13 years ago that that happened. Oh, wow. And wow. I just think for me, like I grew so much during then, uh, but that was also a very dark time in ministry as well. Cause I was just exhausted, but I just kept going and kept going. So in ministry, but that was probably the second worst time in ministry for me. So anyway, what about you? I mean, I've shared this before, but it's there's a very clear. Yo, but why do you here. why do you have this frown on your face? You have like this frown because you're making me think of the, the darkest <laughs> you have, like, day these of my life. On top of I don't, <laughs> like I don't have very many of those. I know. Um, not because I don't fail a lot, but because I usually set very low expectations for myself. <laughs> um, listen, a close second. Well, I haven't even got to the first one, but okay, the, go, close, go for the, close second. the close second is when I practiced for 14 days with Kevin Swanson to do a sermon on Sunday. And then a particular person told me that all they noticed was my see-through leggings. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. You're going to have to be a little bit more specific about that because you can't just be so mysterious and I'm okay to take the heat. On that one, no, I okay. don't want to redo that. I don't want to redo. You don't that. want to rehash that? Why? No, I don't want to rehash that. No, but it was that was very traumatic for me because um, there was a lot of stress leading up to that sermon. I had uh -huh. never preached the sermon before yeah. or after. I wonder why. But um, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have to invite you to come back and do another teaching. No, but um, no, but there was so much um, anticipation. Yeah. Because you know, Kevin is if anything the most diligent and organized yeah and preparing kind of person yeah and so he had us do the sermon every single day the whole thing for yeah. like 14 days so that it was wow. like internalized in our minds um there's a lot of build up 
and then you do it and then like you hope your boss will at least be like oh good job but then the only feedback i had from an anonymous source was that somebody thought my pants were see-through and it was distracting <laughs> who's this someone you know very well who that's come on is. oh my boss man. my boss pastor peter <laughs> Sue, I'm so sorry. I, but anyway, what I learned about the, let me just share with you what I learned about that. What I learned about that is that what I ended up doing was I shouldn't have done this. I ended up going to one of our female pastors and say, "Could you please talk to Sue about this?" And then, you know, of course, that person did. But yeah, but you, then you, you told her she can't tell me who it is. Yeah, but you figured it out like in a heartbeat. Well, it like was no, it wasn't a heartbeat. Remember, there was. Remember, you John invited me into the mad. office and you asked me point blank, did you, "Was this you?" No, but Saturday she told me. I was in Chinatown oh. with her and another friend of ours. Oh. And towards the end of our date, it was Grace Liao, me, and this particular friend. Okay, okay. And we were hanging out in Chinatown. And then towards the end of our day, she said to me, Hey, Sue, can I talk to you for a second? And I was like, Sure. And then she just said that to me. Uh -huh. So then all of Saturday and Sunday, I was like, it was like going, I was going through my mind, like, who would say this? And then I told you, John had pegged this one elderly gentleman, um, Neville, I, I <laughs> who used to drive the bus. <laughs> Neville? Yes. Dude, John's Poor terrible Neville. making guesses. I, I don't know why Neville. Poor Neville is like the nicest guy. Yeah, and John's yeah, like, yeah. you know, it's probably Neville. He sits in the back, doesn't say a word. I was like, it's not Neville. But then and I, I really, I kid you not, I had no idea okay. until that month, uh, that Tuesday. So it was Saturday, Sunday, uh -huh. Monday. Okay. I had to think about. And then right. Sunday and Tuesday, yeah. right before staff meeting, I was sitting in my office and okay. they were passing by the water cooler. And uh -oh. then it hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, I think it's Pastor Peter. Like, and it, then what, that, did you literally, do? what did you do? You invited me in, right? If I had known it was before, I would have texted you or called you. Yeah, There's yeah, no yeah, way yeah, I yeah, wouldn't yeah. have. I would have let yeah. it brew that long. Yeah. Um. So it only hit me at that moment that, oh my gosh, I think it's Do you it's think Pastor that was Peter. Holy Spirit saying it's me? I don't know. I All don't right. want to break the Holy so, Spirit. So then what happened? <laughs> then, then you call me into the office, right? No, I didn't even. I, well, yes, you did. You called me into the office. Yeah, and I, well, I didn't call you. That sounds a lot more formal than okay. it was just. Pee -pee, can I talk to you? Can I ask you something? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was literally yeah. like, Pee -pee, can I ask you something? And I was like, <laughs> and then I and asked the, and you, then and then I wish I had a picture of your face. <laughs> like it was what? like busted, what? like just busted. And I can't lie, right? So I couldn't be like, no, I didn't say well, that. You I know, think, I mean. Yeah, no. I, I knew like in a split second when why, I saw why? your what face. What was, was my like, facial oh, expression? My I can't even like I can't even explain. It was literally like you got it was like a little five year old being caught with his finger <laughs> in a cookie jar, you know, or like that dog in that Instagram video where he is pretending he didn't drink his owner's Slurpee, but his tongue is blue. Like that's literally, you know, exactly. And then, and I, and no then, way. But you know, and then I think I like had an emotional breakdown you did but you did, it wasn't you did. it was the first time i saw you cry but but i think wait was it the first and only time it might it have been the first and only no no you've cried before but this was the first time i actually saw you cry but the reason why was actually the initial reason why i started crying was actually yeah. because i was so relieved like it wasn't because I was so I felt so betray betrayed. That came later. That well, came listen, after. Listen, when you <laughs> cried, I didn't I didn't think those tears was because you were relieved. No, you cried because I felt like because you were so pissed that so you 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 share with me and this was great. You said 
why didn't you just come to me and tell me? Why do you have to go to this person to talk to me? And I was just like, I didn't know. Like, you know, no, like, but the reason why I was relieved was because I had thought of so many different reasons why somebody might say something like oh, that. Okay. And the point is, you don't know their intentions. Oh, okay, okay. okay right? Okay. So you're like, yeah. somebody's trying to sabotage me. Oh, um, okay, okay. Versus okay. if literally you had just said to me, I know exactly what you're saying to me. Okay. Like, I know you have my best interests at heart. So yes, when, if yes, you yes, said that yes. to me, I would have been like, those are not see through you're crazy or i would have been like okay i'll be more careful next time or whatever like yeah, yeah, i'll have john yeah, yeah, shine yeah. a flashlight like next time or something <laughs> right but i think because i didn't know who the source was you i was thinking, yeah. i was thinking of all yep, the different yep. scenarios of why yep. somebody would be saying something like this yeah 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 you know yeah. what i'm saying well that that i gotta tell you you know sua that piece of advice that you gave to me because i mean this is one of the this is a couple of times you like you you know like you gave me like the smackdown and that was really helpful figurative yeah that was really down. helpful because i think many 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 years later something so, not like that something different happened and i can't share this on air but uh i realized i was like should i talk to another sister staff member and tell her to talk to this person and then i just remembered no i can't because i still remember what sua told me many many years ago that if i have a relationship because you and i are in a relationship i should have came to you directly and you felt really hurt the fact that i had somebody else bring that up that i should have went to you directly and i took that piece of advice and i shared it with this person and they just said thank you so much for sharing this with me i appreciate it and i was like Man, Sua, Sua's the bomb, man. She's like teaching me, teaching me the ways. I feel like so, it was the same person. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, that's the so, irony of it. All right, so but, that's, that's but the yeah. runner-up. That's the runner-up. What is the worst day of ministry? <laughs> the worst day of ministry was when we tried to do the youth event, and one non-youth person showed up. I know, man. The, literally, it, it was a it was youth this event. rap concert. It was this rap <laughs> concert, right? And you With paid Thistle. like quote unquote. What's his name? Thistle. 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 Uh-huh. T-H-I-S-T-L Thistle? T-L-E? Thistle, yeah. There that might not his, be an E yet. That was his name? Thistle, yeah. Okay. So Thistle, this guy is a famous Christian mm -hmm. rapper. Mm -hmm. He was yeah, slated. Google you him. guys paid good money for him to come. We did. And we did. and so I was like, all right, I'll come out. And you invited, you know, of course, you guys did your best to try to invite some people and some churches and stuff like that to come out. And it was just like five people and one person from the outside that came to this day. One person it, who was like a middle-aged man. It was a complete. It wasn't even it, a youth. It might have been Thistle's father, <laughs> but it was a complete disaster. It was so sad. We spent it was a lot so of money. Sad. We spent and a I, lot of money. Yes. A lot of time. Yes. Um, it was very, very sad. And the worst part of it was, I mean, you know what? The whole thing was a crap show, though, because, yeah. um, for reasons I will not go into, there were a lot of things that were supposed to be done that were not done for the event. Yeah. Um, so for example, like we are sound there, there was no sound person. So we had to like last minute call somebody from the church to come and help us out. Like it was, yeah. it was just a disaster from the very was beginning. A, there was, yeah. The people um, didn't know how to organize it properly. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, the people is me. And then, <laughs> and then, um, no, but you had faith in this other person. The That's worst why. part yeah. was that happened on Saturday. And then all of Sunday is like, and, and then Monday, like once again, the anticipation of like, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> Peter's going to yell at me. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's, that happens on Saturday. So you have yeah. two days where you're not yeah. going to be dealing with it. Yeah. Right. So it's just the anticipation of like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen on Tuesday when I go to work? Um, and the worst part was like, you were there. So like you you saw the whole thing unravel, yeah, 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 which was even worse. Like I feel like maybe it wouldn't have been as bad if like I told you on Sunday, like, yes. hey, so nobody showed up, but you saw like 
all I of saw the momentum it, and then it completely just fall yes, apart. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and so I think that was pretty bad. And then the, it, it was the anticipation of the the actual because I was fully prepared to be fired. I was like, <laughs> I looked up severance pay. I was like, you know, I'm gonna get unemployment. Like it's maybe it'll be a nice vacation for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna yeah. get fired. Um, I'll just go back to my old job. <laughs> I'll just go back to my old job, make more money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, I did get in trouble. I got in trouble with my boss, which is you. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm, that was. But you know, it's like I'm already so. I'm so critical. Like I am my m worst critic. You are your own worst enemy. So yeah, no, I I just like I'm very critical, well, hypercritical I, of myself. Well, that day I saw how upset and how. You know, there was no reason for me to pour salt on the wound. Like I, I just saw, okay, man, you, you totally get this. You, you totally bad. realize that we you know that we spent money on something where it didn't go well and all that stuff. We dropped the ball, and that's part of you know. At least you learn by failing, and that's a good way to learn sometimes. And so that's a good thing. Fail forward, right? So I couldn't, you know, be angry at that. So you know, I think at the end, I was like, no, that's fine. You know, and I, I get it, and I know it's not going to ever happen again. So that's fine. And, and you know, you, yeah, you I'm felt not like even terrible. a risk taker. So I feel like, in a way, that was kind of. I mean, I learned a lot of lessons in that experience. The yep. lesson I took away was not don't take risks. It was um, be smart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but but I think it was um, it was not it was not fun. It was not fun. Yes. It was bad. It was yes. Really yes. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, anyway, uh, you know, you know what. The lesson was not be smart. The lesson actually was, you, I have to be set careful my, who you like, trust. Well, no, that's yeah. not even what it was. Because I knew that the person I was working with uh -huh. was making bad calls. Okay. But I didn't stop them because I felt like I didn't want to push back. Yeah. Like, I didn't want to be confrontational. Um, and that person was kind of like a more like a leader, like pastoral leader. So yep, I was like, yep. I'm just going to let him do his thing yep, or like, yep, yep. you know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to cause problems. Like I don't want to cause conflict. But I think the lesson there was if I know that this person is not doing something and I disagree, I yep. need to be able to say my part and not worry so much about disagreeing Absolutely. with somebody, Absolutely. you know, but Absolutely. I think cause I'm a bit of a pushover. Mm. I really kind of went against my best instincts and let you know somebody else make decisions for me, even when I fully disagreed. So, if I had really cared about the church's assets and the time and money spent into this, I should have prioritized that instead of prioritizing me not wanting to argue with someone or them not liking me anymore. Yes, Do you know what I'm saying. And I think I prioritized the wrong thing. And I think that was the lesson that I learned. Well, um, I, I think. If anyone's listening and they're a pastor, I think they can totally identify with that or a church leader. We can totally identify with that. And I think that kind of leads us to our episode today because I think what we wanted to talk about was I wanted you to just kind of share or interview me because we do have listeners who are in ministry and I know ministry is very difficult. And I just thought, well, maybe, you know, Sua, it might be good for you to interview me. Think about questions you want to ask me about ministry. So maybe through it, I don't know, maybe some things could be shared that could help you know, our audience who are clergy and who are maybe in leadership in some ways. And so I, I did ask you, you never, you didn't share the questions with me, but I did ask you to think about that and just kind of framing in the sense of like ministry, pastoral ministry, senior pastoring, church planning, whatever it might be. Like, what are some questions you would have about leadership that maybe could serve our audience well, particularly the audience that are in ministry today? So, so ladies said that, and gentlemen, I'm going to let you take over. Our special guest today is Pastor Peter. Oh, hi. How are you doing, Sua? 
<laughs> so yeah, I have some questions. Um, but you know, I think that was a really great opening question because obviously, um, you've, how many years have you been in pastoral 18 ministry? and a half at Metro. Yep. 18 and a half. And then I was about two years at, I did an internship in California, uh, for two years. So almost two decades, two decades. Okay. So, um, I guess my opening question would be, and this is kind of, I have a list of questions, but I might stray from it if it becomes stray more all like you a conversation. Want. But I guess my question would be, um, knowing what you know now after almost two decades yeah. of ministry and being a pastor, like what would you say to Peter 20 years ago? What is a, some, like something that you would tell him that you think would really have helped you 20 years ago? Man, that's a great, great question. That's a really great question. I, I think there'd be so many. Let me see if I could try to filter it to one thing um, that I could share with Peter 20 years ago before I started this church. Um, you know, I, I think it would be, you know, don't, just beware of your ego. Uh, beware of how much your ego is going to play a factor in this church plant and in your pastoral leadership. And when I say ego, what I mean by that is uh, a lot of times we say as Christian leaders and pastors, we say that this is all for the kingdom of God. But deep down inside, there is a deep longing to be lusted after. There's a deep longing to be spiritually lusted after by, by people in the church, by people outside the church. You want to be invited to speak at different places. You want to be able to write books. and You just want some sense of notoriety that you are becoming this quote-unquote well-known pastor or maybe you know, for what some people say, celebrity pastor. And I think I would just say beware of that and that you cannot minimize the significance of how much that's going to play a role in your ministry. I, I, that's what I would say 20 years ago to Peter that's starting out, that's in seminary, that you will have to be aware of that. How would you say, but how would you, because that's still kind of abstract. Is it? Okay. I mean, how would, how has that evolved for you? Like, what has that process look like? Would you say you had a very strong ego at the beginning? And I say that because when I see you, yeah. As, at least from an outside perspective, I don't automatically equate you with somebody who has a big ego. Yeah. Um, in fact, I actually think you're very humble um, and you never take credit for anything. Or even when I like, even when, you know, I sometimes edit things for you, like you're always like, oh, you make me sound so smart, except you wrote this. So I always find it weird that you're like crediting other people mm. for stuff that you do. So I find it very interesting that the advice you would give young Peter would be to watch your ego. Yeah. I think exteriorly, like, you know, you know, I've done a lot of work in this area to get to a much better place. And I think there are ways in how, you know, you, you, you live your life. You believe you're comfortable in who you are. And I am in that in my life now. So when you edit stuff for me, Sua, I'm like, oh man, this is, I said, man, I sound so intelligent. I sound so great. And I didn't sound like this in my original draft. So I'm like, you make me sound so smart. Uh, I really mean that, you know, because I read it and I'm just like, wow, it's just, it flows so much better. And you just kind of know me so well and you're able to kind of, you know, put things together so much better. And, and it just sounds so much more, um, yeah, more uh, just, just sounds more intellectual, you know, honestly. So I think like those things, I have no problems admitting, but I think there are certain things that I do have a lot of pride in. And that's part of it is like pastoral ministry, uh, you know, leadership, things like that, that I try to take some pride in. And I think in the beginning, because uh, Metro just got started, we were such a small church, 
I had a lot to prove, I felt like. And I felt、mm. like there w a s a lot of things I needed to prove to myself and to other people because we were a very small church. And so I just said, well, I have to do this. I have to work really hard and、I、have to do whatever I can to make this happen. And I think it's not necessarily just the ego of it, but like what I had to do to make that happen. And what, what that was, was I was never home at night. I was never with my wife. You know, a lot of times I was, you know, away, I was outside of the house, anywhere from three to five times a week. So for Jenny, she didn't, she didn't think that she could interject and tell me that she doesn't want me to go out and do ministry because she felt like what I was doing was God's work. And so because what I was doing was God's work, she believed that she couldn't say anything. And so I was gone. I was gone five days a week, usually doing ministry stuff. I wasn't home. She had to be home with two kids. And then Christian was born almost a year and a half later. And so it was just intense for her. And for me, here I am trying to serve the church. And then I get asked to speak at different things, different conferences.、Um, I, when I would get on a plane, it would like affirm that I'm important in some ways. And I, I just, I'm a homebody. I, there's nothing that I really enjoyed. And, you know, I'm an introvert. And speaking is like hard for me, like, because I don't like people just staring at me. So, like, I just started to like do things that I know that weren't really like something that I wanted to do, but yet I did it because I had this longing for people to spiritually lust after me to say, you know what, Peter is a great pastor. Peter can do this. And look at what Peter's done at Metro. And so in the beginning, like that was such an important part to me. And I think every church planter, every pastor struggles with that. I think every pastor. Wants to be spiritually lusted after, and it's our ego. And it's particularly when we're in our 20s and 30s, we, it's a very important aspect, unfortunately, to our ministry. And I think what I would say to the Peter many, many years ago, 20 years ago, I would just say, don't underestimate the power of your ego and don't try to over spiritualize it to make it okay. And, and to really go deep and, and learn some of the things that you need to learn about you so that you can be in a healthy place. And,、uh, and also the importance of making sure that your wife, that, that you love being a husband and a father more than being a pastor. Because when I first started the church, the first five years, it was all about being a pastor first, then being a husband and being a father. And I think the, the priorities have to shift. It has to be husband, father, pastor. That's, that's what I would tell myself 20 years ago. So, can I ask you a, a very blunt、yeah. question?、Um, this is not part of my original questions, but as I'm listening to you, it's, it's, it's a blunt question. You don't have well, to go for it. I, I love blunt questions.、Um, no, so, Bergen County, which is where your church is located,、yes. where Metro is, is a very densely populated、um, area. Yes.、Um, there's a lot of churches. Yes. Do you ever feel like competition? With other、oh, pastors、yeah. in the area, because you are all because it seems like I don't know if this is where you are now, but numbers are a big thing for churches, especially when you're planting a church. That's how you gauge, you know, quote unquote, success of a church, right? The Absolutely. Of it. So, is it like, do you start feeling a sense of competition with neighboring churches? Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, it was all about that. It was just, I got to be better than you. My church has to be bigger than your church. And, it always, and it's always about the numbers, right? And you're constantly infatuated with the numbers and you're constantly wanting to know the size of every church around you and so that you can size each other up. 
you know, in that way. And so, like, numbers was such a big part of it. I mean, in the beginning, I really wanted to be the largest church in this area, you know, and uh, and do whatever I can to make sure that that happens. And because people are enamored by numbers, people love numbers, and people see that you're a successful pastor based upon numbers. And I realized that I almost killed myself because I tried to do that. So, and I was so unhappy you, with my life. So, when did you? Do you? So, I guess my question is: Do you still care about? the numbers and yeah. if you do or you do not like how has that evolved i i care years? about numbers now in a more healthier way i care about numbers because i think it, it it shows like you know where are we actually reaching people for jesus or are we not reaching people for jesus it's no longer about whether i feel like it has to sort of feed my ego or make or, or attach that number to my success as a pastor or not so that's not a factor anymore in my life, and it used to be. And so I would say the first five years, that was critical. And you were part of our church in that time, Sue, I believe. And, you know, we weren't a big church back then. We were still, like, under 200 people. And it was a, it was a, it was a small church, and we were trying to get—I was—I for the life of me, I couldn't get us past 200. I tried. I'm like, I did everything. I'm like, what are we going to do to get past 200? I couldn't do anything to get us past 200 people in attendance. And I'm just like, we've tried everything. And we were always hovering about 175, 180 or so for the first five years. And then I just burnt out. I just like, I got nothing left. And that's when I like, I, 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 you know, I took that sabbatical, that first sabbatical and I read Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and I just said, oh my God, this guy wrote this book for me. And it transformed my life. And I just said, at that point, I'm going to stop making it about numbers. I need to work on myself. I told my elders, I said, will you pay for counseling? Because I need counseling. I need to work mm -hmm. on my junk. And there was st this group of elders. I mean, I, I miss them. They're just amazing people. They were just like, yes, we'll pay for your counseling. And then I said, well, then and also I want to go on sabbatical every three years. I need this. I need to get away. I need to I need to unplug and I need to grow. Is that okay? They said, yes, that's fine. We'll make we'll make sure that happens. And I said, great. And I said, the other thing is I need an assistant. I need an assistant who's gonna protect my schedule. And I'm only my wife says she's only comfortable with me going out twice a week for ministry related stuff. Outside of that, I gotta stay home five days out of the week. But I can't say no to people. So I have to hire somebody to protect my schedule. You got it. They said yes to everything. And that helped me. And I started to live this unhurried life. And it was this process of trying to grow as much as I can. And, uh, and that helped so much. And that's how the church grew. The church didn't grow because I was putting more effort into it. The church was growing as I was becoming more healthier. So pastors, listen to me on this, all right? If you want your church to do well, if you want your church to be at a place where it can grow and be healthy, you got to get healthy. You have to personally get healthy. You have to grow emotionally healthier so that as you are healthy, then I think God will be able to bless your church in a healthier way because why would God bring people to your church if you're emotionally jacked up? And if you have issues and if you look at them as a dollar, you look at them as, oh, wow, money, their money, they, they're going to bring more money into the church. Or if you just look at them as, oh, man, you need to be here because you need to affirm, my, you need to affirm me because I'm so insecure as a pastor. And so I just think that that that's such a key component. And so, yeah, numbers was a huge thing. I was all about the numbers the first five years of our church. And that was all, what I was all about. And then I think for a while, I was so not about the numbers, and I just didn't care about the numbers and all that stuff. And I just think recently, you know, because post-pandemic and stuff like that, I think God is just saying, you know what, Peter, like one of the things I have given you is I have given you a gift to grow things. And you got to don't be afraid not to use it. Don't be afraid not to use it and use it 
in a way that will be glorifying to me. And so, you know, that's some of the things that I've been thinking about recently and talking things over with our staff and stuff like that. But, but yeah, so hope that answers your question. That definitely answered my question mm -hmm. because, you know, I, you think that pastors are a different breed of people. And so you always imagine uh, they, I mean, they cannot possibly feel the same things we feel like they, they wouldn't feel, you know, yeah. they're so holy. Like they wouldn't feel competitive about other pastors getting bigger churches or whatever. But then I do hear from people that there, that does exist even among pastors. And so I just, I always remember thinking that was very mind blowing for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I just, I, I, I guess, like, I, I do want people who are listening, like, you know, you should respect your pastors, you know, you should love them, submit to their authority and all those things. But I do also want to encourage our audience to realize, like, your pastors are just like you, and they have issues. And if you're listening, you're a pastor, you need to realize that, you know, there is, you know, uh, emotional unhealthiness to your life too, prop possibly. And you need to make sure you invite some people to help you to process that stuff. And you need to realize that that plays a real significant role in your ministry. It really does. So, so I guess my next question would be, if there was, can you describe a time when you felt like as a pastor, you were in like a real sweet spot? Like you were like, you know what? I I'm, I'm like really doing it. Like this is, I, I am on a spiritual high. Like this, I've hit my sweet spot. Like this is it. Hmm. Because we've talked a lot about the times when it was really difficult, yeah. or like your greatest failures, but there must've been times when you were like, this is why God called me. Like, I'm really, I get it now. Like this is, you know, what it is. Hmm. So here's here. I just, well, I'll let you know how I'm wired. Um, I am not. Um, so somebody once said to me in our church, they said, you know, they said, Peter, are you like, do you take a step back? And you're just so proud of what God has done through Metro, and you feel like you've you've done it right because we're one of the largest churches uh, in this area and stuff like that. And you know, here's the here's the oddest thing about me: I never think about those things because I'm wired in such a way where I'm always thinking we can be so much better, like mm -hmm. we can always be so much better. So I'm just naturally wired where like I'm naturally conditioned to like not be okay with the status quo. So I'm always thinking about what can we do to get better? What, what can we do to get better? And so that's how I'm always positioned. I've never had a thought where like I'm thinking, oh, wow, look at us, man. Look, we're, just, we're just blossoming and we're doing so great. And Because I'm always thinking of ways where how we can get better as a church and, and do more and make, make a greater impact. So that's mm -hmm. kind of how I'm mm -hmm. wired and positioned. Mm -hmm. But I will say probably one of the most uh, encouraging times in ministry was, I forget when it was, but it was several years ago. It was when we did the... Um, uh, Sue, I believe you were a part of our church during this time. Remember it was Easter. We did it at the high school and we did like a musical. Remember the musical? Mary King was like the lead per actor in the musical. I don't think I was there. Oh, no, I think you were there. It was a while ago. I think you were still there. What this was is the musical before. about? Um, it, oh, man, it was, it was so many different scenes. This is when Angela Robinson was on staff. So that's why oh. I think you were there. This is when Angela was overseeing the arts ministry. And we basically did like a Broadway mus musical. It was like 20 minutes long. It was so amazing. I mean, it was so good. And I was like, wow. <laughs> like, I can't believe our church did this. 
right? I was just blown away by that. And just the level of professionalism and, and how amazing that was. And then I just felt like, why am I even preaching at this point? Like, this was the Easter sermon. It was so powerful. And I got up and I preached and it was just powerful. And it was probably the, the you know, I think that was the first Sunday we finally had over a thousand people at our church. And that was probably like a thousand number mile. And that was a milestone, I guess, for our church, just knowing like, wow, we have a thousand people that came out to our Easter service. That was really great. So I think those were some of the moments perhaps where I was like, wow, this was really great. And I just thought this was the best Easter service we ever had. And it was just so good. And, uh, and I was just, I really just thought that was just a, a, one of those moments where I took a step back and said, wow, this is really good. Uh, I think another moment for me when that happens is, and now I'm thinking about it, is like when our staff go on retreats. Remember our staff retreats? Mm -hmm. Those were the best. And we have just so much fun. <laughs> we laugh. Except we just... that one, oh my gosh, except that one time, you what know did I what make I'm you guys gonna do? say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah, what share. I'm gonna say. No, no, share. Our share. staff retreats are amazing because <laughs> you know, nobody on our staff is pretentious or pretends yeah. to be anything yeah. other than what they are. I mean, you've clearly set that tone for us. <laughs> and so we are exactly who we are. Yeah. We say crazy things, we do crazy things, but they're it's just amazing. Except there was this one time, I don't know why, I don't know why you did this to us. Like sometimes I think back to this retreat and I'm like, why did PP do this to us? Yeah. Well, what did I do? Remind you me. You remember? We went to I think a I know retreat what you're gonna say. and usually yeah. it's like really happy, like it's really fun. <laughs> There's this one retreat where you made us do this like exercise and I think that you had just done it yes. somewhere. Yeah. I don't know where you had done it. You got the idea from something yeah. you did. Yeah. But basically you told, it, I don't even remember. It was something like, you know, talk about what you would say from the perspective of a person that you've hurt. Yes. That was the exercise. Yes. So like you pick a person that you've hurt terribly. Yes. And then you pretend that you are them. So you're role playing them. Yes. to yourself and yes. what they would say. Yes. Oh my gosh, was it was like two and a half hours of crying. I know, it was so amazing. It was so amazing. Yeah, but afterwards, I was like, I... we were all like dehydrated and so <laughs> tired. Because usually after we do like a retreat day, like we're playing, yeah. know, playing games and yeah, we're having yeah. fun and everyone stays awake till like 2 a.m. playing yeah. mafia or whatever. We were so tired. Like everybody needed a nap. Yes. Because there was so much crying. The energy of the room was so low. You afterwards. know how I you know how I know it went well? Because Clayton Chan cried. Did Clay cry? He cried. He cried. And if Clay really? cries, you know the Holy that Spirit. That man has moving. no emotions. That man cried. Wait, what is it, Clay's role now at Metro? Because back then he was still youth pastor. No, he oversees the early marriage ministry. Oh, so, so like kinda like newlyweds, yeah. Of, well, yeah. That so, was, I just remember, I was like, why did he do this to us? I have a headache. <laughs> like, I have a migraine now. I'm so tired. Well, it's so funny because we're going to do a, a staff retreat in a few weeks now where I can't wait to do it because we haven't done one since the pandemic. But but yeah, but I think those are great moments. Like when, we, when we're with the staff and I just see how much everyone is loving being around each other and we get an opportunity just to have fun, but sometimes even crying. And the reason why I made us do that, that exercise was because so very often when we have issues with someone, we never think of it from their perspective. We always think of it from our perspective. And and because of that, many times it, we, it gets cloudy. And, and a lot of times if it's just from our perspective, it's very self-centered. And so the reason why I wanted us to do that, that exercise was because I wanted us to put ourselves from uh, sort of in the shoes of the person that we hurt. And I wanted us to kind of think through how have we hurt them? 
and for uh, for us to see from their perspective. And that's really the reason why I wanted Listen, them to do this. I think that would that that idea was great, and <laughs> I think you accomplished what you were trying to accomplish. Yeah. But the problem was that we still had like two more days after that, and everyone was so tired. We were so emotionally oh, spent, and man. it was like day one, like I hour know, four. Man. It was you it know was something special. It was so but special. Anyways. But yeah, but I would say like the happy moment for me was seriously like when we get together as a staff and we have this just fantastic two, three days together. And I was just like, wow. Like, and I have to say, it's, it's working. Like the church say, is working because like, the staff is doing so well. You guys, um, there, there's gotta be some kind of secret sauce there because usually church staff has so much turnover but Metro staff and dysfunction. has been yeah. there for like the Metro, yeah, but the Metro staff members really stay yeah, like, for the I most got, part, I unless you geographically to... moved like I am or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. I have to try to kick some of my pastors out because I realize some of them are called to be senior pastors. And I'm just like, listen, if you're not going to leave in a few years, I'm going to fire you. So I just, have I just have actually to actually set these words. Promise you I did. Really? Yeah. yeah well, well, listen, I don't want our pastors. There's a couple pastors in our staff, and I'm just like, you're called to be a senior pastor. You've learned all you can learn here at Metro. Like, if you keep staying here, it's just because you're comfortable and you just like being here. And I just said, the only way I know you're going to get out is if I fire you, and I'll fire you in two years if you don't leave. And so I give Jeez. them a window, <laughs> and I said, that's it. So in two years, you got to get out, you know, in that way. And that's a beautiful thing because I think part of this is like, yes, yeah, selfishly, like I say, just stay here. But I also like, I, you know, as you get older, and I'm nearing 50 now i think about legacy and i'm just thinking wow it'd be great if this person go and, and pastor a church and just just you know do a great job of ministering and and loving the church and helping it to do well and stuff like that and i just feel like that that's sort of like a great way for them to grow you know for them to start churches and and uh or be in churches that they can lead uh and and help it grow in a healthy way so I think about that, and I and I try, and I feel like folks, pastors on our staff, are very well equipped to doing that because they've been a part of us, they've learned, and now they can go out and do their own thing. So, that's really a good thing. So, so anyway, since we're talking, since we're on the topic of staff members, um, I was thinking about this because you were saying that you are not somebody who ever kind of sits back and says, "Oh, we're on autopilot now." Yeah, like this is nice. So I guess it's kind of like a two-part question. What is that like if you're somebody who's constantly looking at how we can do better um, and that's how you are wired, but then you have to manage a team of a variety yeah. yes. of people. Oh man, and, that's a great question. And you have so much authority and power. Mm. And how do you balance the way you're wired of constantly thinking of the future and being a visionary, but then also having to manage a bunch of staff members who don't necessarily think the way you do or work the way you do. Like, how, what have you learned over the years of Man. managing a staff? Man, you should be an interviewer. This is a great question. This is <laughs> honestly, Thanks. dang, man, this is like Oprah level stuff. You know, oh, like, okay. um, this is really good. It's, it's a, a great compliment. question. It's an excellent, excellent question that you just asked. So what I've learned over the years is that, <laughs> I just, I'm sorry. <laughs> Your frown is so interesting. I'm very focused. No, no. When, when you, you did that look when you, you were talking about the worst day of ministry for you, and now you're doing it again. You're I'm like, very focused right now. <laughs> okay, okay. I sorry. I really want to hear the you answer. You cracked me up. You cracked me up. Okay. So what I've learned over the years is this, is consensus is really important. <laughs> Stop doing that. Consensus. <laughs> I'm straightening out my eyebrows. Yeah. Uh, so what I've, 
what I've learned over the years is that consensus is really important. And the more that I try to lead the staff where I am dictating what needs to happen all the time, the less effective the staff is going to be and it's not going to be healthy. And it's just going to rely upon me. And so the best example I could say is that, you know, right now we have about a staff of 17, 18 people on our staff. And I realized that I, I have to be careful that I go in there and say, okay, what do we do? Here's how we do it. A, B, C, D, and this is it, right? Mm -hmm. And then they just take their marching orders and they go and execute it. I can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Like if I do that, then we're no longer a team, right? Everyone just keeps looking at me and saying, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? Do I do that sometimes? Yeah, I do once in a while. It's not like I don't ever do that. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to work with the leader and a lot of them are wired very differently from me and I'm trying to get consensus and I'm trying to make the decision based on consensus. So even if I don't agree with it, I've learned now, it doesn't matter. I don't have to agree with it all the time. I may have a different way of looking at it. What I have to do now is that if people on staff feel like this is the way that we should go, I just have to submit to it and let it go. And even if it fails, it's okay. Like we've learned through it, but I know that in the long run, if I can keep doing that, then the staff will be healthier. But if I'm so hands-on and so micromanaging everything, then I know that what's gonna end up happening then is that I'm gonna drive myself crazy, uh, staff are gonna hate my guts because they're not feeling empowered to lead things that the way they wanna lead it and those things. Now I do share things, like I do share certain things about, because I do oversee some staff members and I do share areas that they need to work on and you know, and I'll talk about things that I see that I'm like, hey, I've seen this, I think you need to think about working on this area and things like that and I do do that because I want them to grow but I will just say, this is just what I've observed and I just want you to know that here are some things I think where you can grow in and I'll give some examples and stuff like that and, and that I feel like is part of what I need to be doing but in terms of like with the staff I, I the more I can empower them and the more I can just sit back and learn to be a cheerleader that I believe is a good test of, of, of being a good leader where somebody can grow and, and grow a staff and let the staff take over the church and then I realized as I've done that like they're so much better at it than I am mm. like if I tried to interject it wouldn't have been as good and then there are moments where maybe I feel like it could have been better if I kind of you know but most of the times I'm like they just know it now. Like I just know it. There's some errors I can't even offer advice in because they're just so much better at this than I am, and I just can't even offer advice on certain things. And so I just go with things that I feel like you know what they want this, so I'm going to trust it. So the the best example I could give for this year was like last year. You know, we we plan out the preaching calendar a year before, like on October of every. So in, in the next few weeks, we're going to get together as a pastoral staff. We're going to talk about what are we going to preach on all of 2023. And last year we did that and our staff, you know, um, ANSI, our student uh, ministry leader said, you know what, I really believe that we should try to have family worship service once a month. Now, Sua, you probably know how I would feel about that, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Recently, yeah. okay, recently at the <laughs> church I attend, the vineyard, um, one of the, there was a crying baby. Yes. And then the baby just kept crying uh -huh. and then the mom finally started taking the baby out and the pastor who was preaching was like, oh, thank God. He was like, I was getting really distracted. He literally said that on oh, stage. <laughs> no, no, that's not the way to do it. I thought about Metro. Yeah. I was like, because you get pretty distracted when babies start crying. Well, I have ADHD. I no, mean, you I, know, no, it, I know. Yeah, naturally, I know. It, it really, really, like it gets under my skin, like, cause it's hard, you but know? But it's funny cause like I can that. like see it in your face. Like, oh yeah. my God, he's cracking. He's cracking. Yeah, so it's so funny. Because, so she brought this up. And you already know what my answer would be, right? And 
everyone in the group thought that would be amazing. The first Sunday of every month, we can have family worship service where all the kids could come and worship with the adults. And I think that's great because we've, we've realized that a lot of the kids who graduate youth group, they don't come back to church mm. because to go to the adult service is such a huge thing for them that they don't want to come back. Like it's a big leap from it's too big of a Sunday leap for them. school. To yeah, from going from Sunday school and then also now going to the adult service. And so we noticed that there is this this trend. And so, you know, she brought that up. Everyone in our in our pastoral staff said we should do this. I still didn't want to do it, but I realized, you know what? This is the right thing. And we did it. And we've been doing it, you know, every month this year. And uh, we've learned some things through it. And I think we've gone through our ups and downs through it because what we've learned is we've learned that it's great to have everyone there, but we realize that actually quite a bit of people don't come out to church when we have family worship service. Mm -hmm. And so we've been kind of asking what's going on, what do we have to do? And I don't know if we're gonna continue it every month, but the fact is like, I could have been like, no, we're not gonna do that. But I just realized the, the group really felt like this was the right thing to do. And I still believe it was the right thing to do for this year. And I'm glad we did it. I learned a lot more and I am able to, Sue, you'd be proud of me. Kids could cry, yell. We had a kid when I was preaching run up on stage. All oh right. <laughs> and I took it like a champ. I took it like a champ. I am proud of you. And I can, and it's okay now. It's just normal. And I'm like, okay, it's just part of church life. Like, you know, it's fine. And so, um, so I think I've grown in that way as well. And I'm grateful that we, we, we've done this. So I think that's important. I think, I think as a church pastor, and if you're a lead pastor, you got to let your staff lead in a way where they can feel empowered to lead. And also you got to be their greatest cheerleader, but also be willing to give them some feedback when they, when they need it. But you can't always want things to go your way and you have to be okay if it doesn't. And, and, and it's, I think, a win when you are willing to go with consensus and you follow rather than you saying, no, we're going to do it this way. And I think that's probably uh, an important thing. You know what's interesting, though, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about, so I recently went over um, the house of, so the church I attend has two senior pastors. They're a couple. So the okay. couple are the senior pastors. Uh -huh. um, the founding pastor has retired and kind mm. of passed a baton to this married couple and they are the senior pastors. And I recently went to their house um, and I had the opportunity to talk to the the female pastor. Yeah. Um, and I was explaining to her, because she had asked me, like, how did you end up at this church? Like, what has been your journey? So I was explaining to her about why I had mm. left the church previous. And for those of you who have not heard the story, long story short, basically I left because um, the pastor, when I had this conversation with the previous pastor, he said something to me along the lines of like, I don't know what issues to talk about and what issues not to talk about uh -huh. because I don't want to offend people. Mm. And I don't know, I don't want to pick a side because I want to cater to everyone. And it's very, he was basically like, it's very confusing for me and discombobulating for me because mm. like you know, when I say something, people get upset at me. And then when I don't say something, people get upset at me. And it's like, oh my gosh, like, how do I do this? Yeah. And she says something very interesting about how it seems as if the difficulty, a big reason why this is so difficult for them is because they don't have it. They are not a team. Like it's on yeah. him. He's yeah. the one who's making the decisions. He's the mm -hmm. one who's calling the shots. Yeah. Um, he has all of the power. And so yeah. whether you do or don't, it falls on him. Yeah. But her she was saying that in the church i attend now it's a team model yeah and so on one hand it's much more difficult because the, the leader who's leading them has to go with the consensus and yes. has to discuss yes. and has to go but on the other hand it's a team and yes, so right. not one person is taking 
calling the shots or taking the shots. It's a team. And I feel like there's such a benefit. It's much more sustainable in the long run than having one person constantly saying, this is the way we're doing it. This is not the way we're doing it. When you have a team, you can share the burden, but you can also share kind of that, you know, um, absolutely. So I feel like that's such a better, more sustainable model that you've built. You know, I think we have a, we call it the PMTs, the pastoral management team. And there's probably four people in that, including myself and four or five people in in that, that including myself. And we make really the big decisions of the church Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day basis. And, and, um, and I, I can't, I, I don't think I can lead in a place anymore where I'm making the decisions anymore. Um, I'm, I feel like I, I need to be a part of a team where we're making decisions together. Because I always say this. I say God speaks through the symphony of other people. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that as a pastor and as a leader that you're getting other people's thoughts and opinions and that you're listening to it, you know, and that uh, and that you're not making the decisions by yourself. Otherwise, you're like an island. And, and if you're making all the decisions, then you're just an unhealthy leader because you got to trust your captains and you got to trust your lieutenants and you got to trust other people to go out and, and do what they need to do. And, and I, I've learned over the years that I get blown away by what they're able to do and what they're capable of. And so like one of the examples is like, remember like justice, racial justice was so important, right? So when you and I were leading this movement, but in the beginning, I just felt like I was doing so much of it and I was getting, you know, sort of hit all the time, you know, yeah. taking the blows from the church. Yeah. But now, like, my goodness, like, you know, just letting our staff take this, like with, you know, Sunita and IJ and others and David Hosang and others and Doug and Steve and people. And they're just doing these things that are just amazing. And I'm just like, wow, I just, I'm just cheering them on and. And, uh, and just following their lead because they're taking it to a different level. And I'm just so grateful that we have people like that on our staff that we can, that, you know, that we can just empower and they just take it to a different level. So that's, that's what's really great. And I find myself at this stage trying to be the best cheerleader I can be. Um, and, uh, and then also just challenging some staff that I feel like maybe are struggling right now and they're not doing well and just, you know, sitting down with them and having a good talk with them and saying, Hey, what's going on, you know, with you and, uh, and why, you know, what's happening here and say, I'm just struggling a little bit. Help me to understand why this is happening and why, you know, this is not going the way we thought it was going to go. So it's not to say that, you know, when hard conversations need to happen, that they're being avoided because you want to have good teamwork. I don't think you can have good teamwork unless you're actually having those hard conversations. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always about that. And, um, you know, when when somebody on our staff is overseeing another staff member and, you know, they'll share some stuff, I'll always bring that up and say, hey, this is a better way in how you could have maybe addressed this to that person and, and trying to deliver. So I think one of the hardest things that staff struggle with is confrontation. And I, I don't do well with confrontation as well, but what I've learned over the years is just this, just be honest. Like you just have to be honest that if you try to, be, you know, like I've learned the mistake, I'm sure I've done that with you. Like you just shared earlier on, like when, when you know you were preaching and I had somebody else deal with the confrontation, I didn't deal with it myself. Like I, that's sort of my MO, but I learned over the years that you just got to be completely honest about things so that you can deal with it because the more you try to sugarcoat stuff so that you don't hurt the person, because sometimes we're so worried about hurting them that we don't actually be honest and truthful to them and we actually hurt them even more and we're not really leading them at that point. So just being really honest with them but sharing the truth and love is really important. So I think that's all important too. It's not just everyone and staff, we do well all the time. But I think when there are times where people need to be confronted and challenged that they're dropping the ball, they're not doing this well that they need to be, that you don't just 
become a part of Metro and you just enjoy yourself, we're never going to keep you accountable. No, we talk about this and we talk about it's important that they also perform and that they have to, you know, perform at a certain level too, that we're just not going to tolerate, you know, laziness or people not wanting to do the things that they need to do. But if we're here to reach people for the lost and, and uh, expand God's kingdom, we got to work really hard to make that happen. So, yeah. So on that note, we got, I got to at least ask you one of these questions. Okay. Um, and don't, uh, my question is, in your 18 years of ministry, is there a time, if you could pick one time to have a do-over, um, is there one and what yeah. would you do differently? And don't give me this answer of, well, everything we do forms us in a way and God used it and redeemed it. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm sure God redeemed it. I'm sure. But just from the you know person side, like, is there a time in your ministry where you're like, you know what? If I could do it over, this is how I would have done it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I know you, right you off the bat. You have to pick one. You have to pick yeah, one. Yeah, just one. Well, this would be the one. No, it, it wouldn't be. I mean, maybe I would be like, I should have just talked to you in the beginning. Okay, yeah. yeah. Obviously, that's the but number that's not, one. But, but the, what's your honestly not the one. That's not the one. Unfortunately, that's not the number one. If I could redo it. So when my father passed away and people started leaving the church, um, part of the reason why people were leaving the church was I was actually kicking them out of the church. I was just saying, you know what? This is not going to be the right church for you. If you don't like us talking about racial justice and you don't see this as a gospel issue, but you see it as a political issue, I, I just basically said, like, you should probably leave the church you and find another church. You literally said that. Yeah. Literally. I, I literally said, this is not the right church for you. You might need to move on. And oh, hold um, on. Pause. What was your thought process? Okay. Was there a thought process in saying like yeah. that? Like, did, what did you believe at the time? I'm just curious My, because so, those are very strong words. Very strong words. Um, I would say what I learned at the time was simply this. You are a barrier to what I want to do in this church. Mm -hmm. um, you are a barrier to want us to truly be a multi-ethnic church. And we mm -hmm. can't be a multi-ethnic church until we really talk through these things. Um, that you are becoming a barrier because you don't understand the depths of what it means and what racism has done in the church in our country. And, uh, and how we need to work on this. And so because of that, you need to get out of here. And the other aspect, as I kind of processed, I had a long time to process this. I think the other part of this is that I felt in some ways that they were challenging me and maybe causing me a little shame. I had somebody in the church, they, uh, <laughs> they sent an email to me, but they also CC Kevin and David Hosang, you know, on it. And, and the email- lambasting me but yeah. also saying that what i preach was heretical and it wasn't oh, wow. it wasn't the bible yeah and uh and i just remember when i read that i was like one oh, it's one no. thing to just send it to me but to oh, send it no. to kevin swanson my executive pastor my spiritual formations pastor i was like you got some you got some serious balls to do that and so like they i mean it got me upset and so you know like my when i met with them face to face like it there was no pastoralness i think to me my my goal was to shame them biblically yeah. of of why yeah their way of thinking is so wrong and it was it was really it was my brokenness it was my shame right because in some ways like he was he was sort of affirming that i am a mistake so now i got to deal with this and 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 that was not a healthy process for me you know and stuff and so yeah i mean i think part of it was i didn't necessarily tell people to leave but i just said if, if this is going to be really hard for you if this is going to be something you struggle with we're never going to stop doing this this is a big part of who we are as a church and I just said, if it's that hard for you, I just said, you should go and, and find another church. And then um, Kevin, actually, <laughs> during our PMT meeting, you know, he sat me down and he said, Peter, stop kicking people out of the church. He said, you have to stop. And I just said, but Kevin, like, 
I just don't think it's right for them to be here because they're going to be a barrier to us and they're also going to like, they're going to struggle. And he said, Peter, do you really believe racial justice is the gospel? And I said, yeah, I believe it with all my heart. He said, well then listen, if they leave our church, they're never going to hear that from another church Mm -hmm. and they'll never know the true gospel message. Mm -hmm. Yes, they might disagree with it, but if you kick them out prematurely, they'll never get it from another church. But if they stay, if they stay, who knows, maybe six months, maybe 12 months, they'll finally get it and then they'll change. There's always a chance for them to change and be transformed here at Metro. But when they leave Metro, there's no chance. And when he said that to me, I was like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. And I said, okay, I'll stop doing it. And I did, I stopped after that point. Yeah, but that was some really darn good advice that he gave to me. And, uh, and so I think if I had a redo, I think the, the redo would be to really invite them into deeper conversations and to think through this because I think for one, there was a lot of anger that people had. Like, so, you know, this couple of people that I've noticed who were Asian, particularly Korean, who had issues with this, I realized that a lot of it stemmed from their upbringing because when they moved and when they immigrated into the States, you know, we immigrated into the urban areas and we experienced a lot of racism from the black and brown community and they still haven't forgiven them from it. Mm-hmm. And I realized that a lot of that stuff just stemmed from that. And so I think like what I could have done is just been like, hey, let's talk more about this and uh, we'd love to hear from you more and maybe unpack some of this more long-term and seeing like maybe does some of our own personal experience shapes the narrative and how we think about you know racial justice today you know, and stuff like that. And I think there could have been a process where we talk about these things to learn more uh, about it rather than me just kind of kicking people out of the church. You know, and stuff. And then maybe me, me being more humble and saying, well, I never thought of it from this perspective. So let me just process it with you and let's, you know, keep talking and meeting about it. But, uh, but none of that stuff really happened. So if I could have a redo, that would be my redo. It's so interesting because just from what I've seen of you, I would say one of the words, and you've, I'm sure you've heard this from many, many people, like you're the visionary, right? Yeah. That's who you are. Like you see the future, yep. you see how we can get there. And I think it's interesting because as amazing as you are in being a visionary, sometimes I think the efficiency part of it makes you sacrifice the effectiveness <laughs> part of it. Yes, yes, <laughs> because yes. you want to get there fast and this yes. is a good way to get there fast. It's my but, issue with speed. Yeah. But sometimes yep. I feel like yep. it's the mo- it's not the most effective yes. way to get there. No, it's not. Uh, but I think we need both. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that, yeah. you know, efficiency has its place in everything. Yep. Um, but in this particular case, it was probably like, I mean, we got there. I mean, to, I mean, to some degree, we, we were able to, I mean, if anything, I think you doing that demonstrated to people that we're serious about it and this is a priority and it yep. is a discipline in our church and we consider it a spiritual discipline um, or a discipleship issue. Um, so I do think there was, now I'm telling you about the redeeming part of it, but I, I do really feel like for me, at least that was special because whenever now I look for a church, I will always me- not measure it, but always place it against the stance that we took and that you yeah. took and say, I will not settle for a church that is not willing to kind of put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess as you speak, it's it's like yeah, it's kind of funny that Kevin was like, "Stop kicking people out of the church." Like, and that guy's so, so freaking smart. It made so much sense. I'm like, goodness gracious, he Kevin! I, I did it in a way that made complete sense. To I was you. like, Kevin, I can't argue with that. You're absolutely right. This is more about me than anything else. I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'll stop kicking people out of the church. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
So one more, um, one more, one more, one more. Okay, I have one more question. Man, I have two, but I, I'll ask. I'll pick. All right, one. ask two. Maybe we'll go well, through it quick. I mean, okay. So I was gonna say, um, well, one question, but I feel like this maybe you already kind of answered in a previous one. I was gonna say, if you had something that you really, really, as a pastor, want to tell your congregation members, something that congregation members should know about their pastor that maybe they don't know, like as a senior pastor, something that you really wish they would know. Hmm. Man, that's man. You're asking some serious questions here. That's um, tough. It's an interview. About yeah, 20 this years is of excellent. Ministry. Wow. Well, hmm. Yeah, you can pass. I have a second follow up. Well, question. ask the second one. Maybe I'll come the back. The second to that one, one that, is yeah. more of like a ending question: Is um, what can we, as congregation members, do to support and encourage our pastors? Mm. And that's a much more yeah. classic question. It's it's a great question, but and it's a personal question. you know I, I I this could be part of our own culture, but I don't think we have a healthy culture at Metro where we try to honor pastors, um, and that's just you know part of that I think could be sort of my fault and not really doing it. I was just at my, my one of my closest friends' thirty uh, fifth year pastoral anniversary service, and I was just like, oh okay, this is great, and you know they 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 did so many amazing things to celebrate the 35th year anniversary of his pastoral anniversary. And I just thought, wow, I was like, we don't even talk about that at Metro, you know, like, isn't that even a thought? And I just thought, Oh, that's interesting. And I guess, I guess the big thing would be is, um, you know, it's really difficult to be a pastor. It's not easy. And I think sometimes people say this jokingly, but I think it's quite offensive when people say you guys only work one day a week and that's Sunday. People don't say that. Well, people say it sometimes and people think it. I think people no. think it more than they say it. Oh, yeah, they, Stop. Do. they do. Yes, 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 they do. You know, and, and I think yeah, sometimes I they, I think sometimes they joke around about it and, uh, and they realize, you know, and, and part of, you know, whenever some, there's humor, sometimes there's an element of truth to the humor. But I think it comes off very offensive hmm. because part of what our job is to do is to shepherd the congregation, to carry the burdens of people's burdens. And it's a lot of work and, uh, and it's a lot. And, you know, like you think about teachers, could you imagine if teachers never had the summer rest? All right. Could you imagine if teachers had to work all year round? Why do they have summer breaks? Right. I think part of it is because they're pouring so much into the children, right? Yeah. Into the kids, yeah. into the students. They need a time off because yeah. their job is to work with people. And that's the role of a pastor. It's like we have to work with people and we have to always work with people. The ups, the downs, the challenges and just even like, you know, things that are happening, abuses that are happening, you know, and stuff like that. Like we have to deal with all that so messy, deal with broken marriages and deal with different stuff that's happening. And it's just, it's incredible. It's a big burden that we bear. And I would just tell the people in the church to, you know, uh, encourage, encourage our pastors. Pastors Appreciation Month, I think is October. Um, yeah, maybe you guys could, what would be really great is if you guys could write, you know, pastors a note, you know, thanking them, you know, or something like that. Uh, I think that would be great just to appreciate your pastors, I think is really great. Some churches do such an amazing job at that. Um, and I know some don't, but, uh, but I think it's important to do that because, you know, it's one of the most thankless jobs. It's one of the most hardest jobs out there. And I, I've said this before in other podcasts, the average lifespan of a pastor is five years. And uh, there's an epidemic of pastors leaving the ministry and never wanting to come back because it has done such a mm -hmm. deep, deep scarring in their lives. The wounds have been created in the church 
where um, they can't find healing from anymore. And so it's, they've been so disenchanted with the church. And I find that to be incredibly sad. And one of my burdens is to make sure that we have groups of pastors that hopefully God could help me to influence them so that we can all retire as pastors. Like that to me would be amazing to, to have pastors serve to their 65 years old and say, you know what, I think I've done my best and now I'm gonna retire. But pastors wouldn't just quit the ministry and become like, you know, insurance salesmen because they just can't handle the ministry. No offense to insurance No, no offense to it, of course not. But if God's called you to be a pastor, you need to be a pastor. Right. Right. And part of that, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be hard. And I do know that sometimes the parishioners make it incredibly, incredibly difficult for pastors. And, uh, and to hear and to listen. And if you're leading a church and you're, and, and you're a lay leader and... And uh, sometimes pastors are just seen as hired hands, especially if the church is older and you guys go through cycles mm -hmm. of pastors. Mm -hmm. I do think, you know, it, it, once a pastor becomes a sheep, they're no longer the leader of the church. And no matter what, every pastor that is pastoring the church, they have to be a shepherd. That means that they have to be the leader. You have to let them lead and you have to be willing to follow them. If you can't do that, then I just don't think churches can be healthy. So that's the way I would answer that. But if I were to share one thing with the people of Metro about me, Oh man, Sua, what would it be? That's such it's a great question. It's hard to say because you are pretty trans, like you're pretty honest about who you are. Like there's very little pretense. Yeah, I think the only thing I would say is um, don't be offended. Um, I'm I'm a loner and uh, I I'm not a lot of fun to be around. I'm kind of boring. That is not true. I am pretty boring. You're pretty no. fun. Really? Yeah, Sua, I, I think, think that's how you and I get fun. along so well. No, I think. Well, can I tell you a funny story though? Yeah. Um, okay, I do think somebody recently, a nameless family member of mine. <laughs> oh no, <a laughs> it's not John. Asked, said to me, you "Sure, it's not John." Okay, it's 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 my sister-in-law. Okay, <laughs> she said to me, um, "I don't think she listens to this podcast." She said, "Okay, let's hope not." Hey, she said, "Is Pastor Peter a little awkward?" And I said, <laughs> "Why?" And she said, "You know, he's met me a lot of times by now." And I ran into him at the supermarket the other day and he looked at me and then he just turned away. And my first thought was, does he not like me? And then my second thought was, he probably doesn't remember me. <laughs> and I said, she, he has no clue who you are. <laughs> I was like, he just has no clue. And she was like, but I've met him like five times. Oh no, I, I feel like, terrible. I was like, he sees like hundreds of people every Sunday. Like yeah. he has no clue who you are. I was That's like, don't, it. he's not ignoring That's you. 100%. And I said to her, clearly you have an advantage because there's not a lot of Korean men who are six foot four. So like clearly like he, she knows who you are because how many, like I said, how many people do you know who are Asian who are like six foot four? Yeah. But she said literally, she was like, does he not like me? I was like, no, oh, he has no idea who you are. I don't. And that's the so, that's the sad reality is that, you know, here's... And, oh, right, he so will not is, recognize you. That's basically what I'm this, saying is don't is, be offended if he doesn't right, recognize This is so great. I, I'm so glad you said this because I, I do meet people randomly sometimes on the streets or in supermarkets and stuff and they'll say hello. And, and this is my issue. I don't have the heart to say, who are you? <laughs> I don't know you. And so I'll kind of go along and I'll say, how are you doing? What's up? And then in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, who are they? Do I know them? Do they come to Metro? Like, who are they? And sometimes I just draw blank, but by then it's too late. And, uh, and I'm just trying to remember. So I, I am, I'm just, I'm just pretty forgetful. Um, and if I don't have like a, like a real deep, meaningful conversation, it'll be hard for me to remember, remember someone. And I tell you what, like, this isn't just, I just want, I want you to know, like there was a movie many years ago that we were watching and it was a, you know, it was a, it was a movie that I watched and I want, and 
And I wa- and I watched it, and my wife was watching with me. She goes, "I watched this movie," and I was like, "Really?" She's like, "Yeah." She goes, "I watched it with you when we were dating," and I was like, "No, you were not." I was like, "Oh," I was like, "Honey, you actually went on a blind date with somebody else while you were dating me, weren't you?" I was like, "Honey, I would remember da- watching this movie with you on a date because I remember those things. Those things I kind of remember." And she and she was like, "No, I went with you," and I was like. Oh man, you actually cheated on me, didn't you? And I was oh my like, "Gosh, was, why does your mind always go there?" My my brain, I just forgot. I and I still don't remember watching this movie with her, even till this day. And she still jokes about it with me. She's like, "He thinks I went and watched it with another dude, you know, that day." But so my memory is actually very really bad. It just, my, it's not efficient. It it's just I don't remember things. things well. I forget things easily, and I forget people's names. So please be grace, you know, grace filled and understanding about it. Um, I do my this best. But, totally true yeah. because sometimes I'll tell you things, and um, it's that's so fu- no, but it's so you can funny. tell me anything, I'll forget about it. That's the I'll thing. Tell, you'll forget about it, but then yeah. when I say it the next time, you laugh with the same intensity that you laughed <laughs> the first time, which is how I know you completely forgot. <laughs> I forgot. Because I forget. You just find so much joy in it the second and third and fourth yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, and then and then the other thing is that this ha- this has happened before. Like if you come over and you know my wife and stuff like that. Um, and you're hanging out in the house and stuff like that. And, you know, you're talking with her and myself and everything. Like, my bedtime is pretty... I'm pretty strict with my bedtime. So, I'll, like, 10 o'clock. I don't care if you're still in my house. I'll just go... I'll say goodnight. And I'll go into my room. And I'll be ready to go to sleep. This is 100% true. And I do know that some people got pretty offended by that. They're like, why doesn't he just stay? And I'm just... And, you know, Jenny knows, like, no, that he needs to sleep. He's he's pretty... He needs to go to bed. He's tired. Yeah. He's wiped. And he just can't s- handle it. And people get offended sometimes. Went past 10 o'clock and then you just turn into a different person. <laughs> I do. I turn into a different person. It's just my brain just shuts down. Like my brain's already at like 50% capacity, but 10 o'clock, it's like at 5% capacity. Like, so I knew, I knew that <laughs> we were playing... Gosh, what were we playing? We were playing some kind of game and our team was losing and then it was like 10, 10 and your face was just shutting down. And I said, <laughs> exactly. I, I said something to you afterwards. I was like, PP, you're handling this really well. Like we lost and your hand, cause he's so competitive. Yeah. I was like, you're, and he, and you were like, don't talk to me right now. I'm trying real hard to keep it together. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't even remember that. I don't even remember that. So, but anyway, I think that's the, one of the things I'll tell uh, about people in the, uh, I want people in Metro to know that, you know, that's just kind of how who I am. And that's some of the areas that I know that people are surprised to see, but that's just part of it, you know? And, uh, and I think the other part maybe is, you know, I'll always try to do the best I can. And, um, and, and no matter what, like, you know, I, I try to do the best I can in terms of ministry, but at the same time, I know that, you know, for me, family comes first, my wife comes first. And so I'll try to prioritize in a way where sometimes I will, you know, uh, focus on family first before ministry. And for me, I find that to be a real good recipe for success in ministry. So, um, you know, so I say no to a lot of things. And, uh, and that's just part because I need to prioritize. And if I don't prioritize, I know at the end, like, I'm going to regret it. So, uh, and I'm a much happier person. And I love ministry so much more now because I feel like the priorities are, are set. For me, it's Jesus, Jenny, children, and with my children at the same level are my soulmates, and then it's pastor. Oh wow! Yeah, my my, my soulmates, soulmates are, are three. On the same level as yep. your children. They're B. They're three B. Children are three A. Three wow. A. Three B. Nice. Yeah, and then uh, f- fourth would be pastor. That's kind of how I sort of try to live my life. Now I mess up on it all the time, but but that's if I if I can live in that order, 
things are going really well for me. Great. So things are going well. So, well, so, thank you for being Sua, here. You are so good at asking questions. Those are amazing <laughs> questions. Seriously, I I'm like, prepared. I'm floored by those. I questions. have so many still good questions. Well, we got to do a part two. We should so do listen, a part two. Can we do a part two? But also, if you're listening and you have more questions, maybe if you're a pastor and you have some questions you want to ask, could you please email it to us or just hit comment on Instagram or on Facebook uh, when we post this on social media and just ask the questions. We'll save it and then we'll do another episode about this, asking questions to me, to Peter on. That would be great. So I think we should do one for you too, maybe, Sua. And what would I talk about exactly? I don't know. We could figure something out. I think it'll be fun if I come up with some questions. The zombie apocalypse. Wait, hold on. Was that <laughs> although, the other episode? Although, Sorry, although I'm very my, confused my, right now. Yeah, my questions would be a little weird. You know, it would it wouldn't it wouldn't what do be you as mean? good as are yours. You, what? Are you going to ask me about how much I weird. bench press again? Exactly. <laughs> By the way, I'm still upset. You never never told us how much you deadlift. No, I, I it was really. I think I did it, and it was something really sad, like 140 or something really <laughs> that, pathetic. So that's 140 is good. <sighs> Yeah, but so, you, I looked it up. No, I looked it so up, and you're supposed really, to be able to do minimum 1.5 your weight, and that is not so, uh, 1. 1.5. 140 is weight. incredibly respectable. I'm serious. Now we got to try to get up to 185. All right, we got to try to get up to 185. We're doing it again. One, we're doing it again. Where we're going to talk about exercise yeah, and fitness. 140 is very respectable. So I respect you. That's great. I 140. Don't know. I feel like it was kind of sad. It's all good, Sue. It's I, all good. I googled it. I googled it, and it said it should be 1.5. Like you should start. You should be able to start. Start off at 1.5 your weight, and I just want everybody to know it's I nowhere close to 1.5. No, I, I, dis I disagree with that. I, don't, I, I think if you're like a real athlete, yes, but this is if you don't like really deadlift a lot and stuff. I think 1.5 your weight is is a way too much. I think you, once you do it a lot and you work out, you should get to that place, and that should be where you where you land. But that should never be where you start. So no, you you want you, 140 is excellent. Honestly, I'm gonna start preparing for you know. I want to see 185, girl, and I want that on Instagram. What's gonna see you happen do it. if I hit 185? <sighs> Will Man. I get a prize? You 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 become a social media sensation. I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> That's a lie. If you if you you gotta you gotta like look like a power lifter, so you gotta wear like those sh like the spandex. You gotta have a lot of chalk on your hands, on your thighs. You just gotta like uh, lift it That's up. That's not gonna happen. And you gotta grunt. You gotta. Go, I can Argh. guarantee you, never in my life will I ever look like a power lifter ever. <laughs> oh come on, it'll be so much fun. It's it'll not gonna so much happen. Fun. It's I'm not built for it. That's I, know, I that's love true. I love carbs way too much. It's not. Gonna um, happen. I don't know about that anymore. So Anyways, anyway, well, thank you, thank you so much for listening. And yes, yes. Any questions you have? Uh, I think we'll do a part two of this. This was great. Uh, and feel free to share that on our on our Facebook, Instagram, or weekpastor.org. What? what? Oh, questions. Any questions yes, you might have that you'd like to ask me? Questions that you have, or maybe ask Sua. That would be great too. You might have some questions you want to ask Sua. Sure. That would be great. All right. I'm happy to answer them. Thank you again for listening. Have a great, great day. We'll talk Thank to you next you. week. Bye.